This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Imaginary Worlds, a show about how we create them and why we suspend our disbelief. I'm Eric Malinsky. Every year, I like to play a full-length version of an interview that I did for a previous episode, where there was so much good material that ended up on the proverbial cutting room floor. In 2019, I did an episode about the character Harley Quinn. And in that episode, I interviewed a team of comic book creators, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. They redefined Harley Quinn in her own comic book series. Before that, she was mostly known for being the Joker's long-suffering girlfriend or a member of the Suicide Squad, a super-secret strike team that the government recruits to do its dirty work. Jimmy and Amanda worked on their Harley Quinn series from 2013 to 2016 before handing it off to the next set of writers. So if you need a quick refresher, the character of Harley Quinn was first created in 1992 for Batman the Animated Series. That's a real gasser, huh, Mr. J? I give the punchlines around here. Got it? Yes, sir. The character was so popular on the animated series, she got incorporated into the comics, and then video games, and eventually movies. Speaking of movies, Margot Robbie is back for the third time, playing Harley Quinn in the new Suicide Squad sequel. What? You, we're, we're here to save you. You were gonna save me? It was a really good plan, too. Well, I can go back inside and you can still do it. That's patronizing. I'm so sorry. Harley Quinn. The movies have been borrowing pretty heavily from Jimmy and Amanda's comics. In fact, Jimmy has been proudly tweeting screenshots of the new Suicide Squad trailer and comparing them to panels that they drew for the comics. Also, there is a hilarious animated show on HBO Max called Harley Quinn, which came out in 2020. Jimmy and Amanda were not involved with that show either, but they were also very proud of how much that show borrowed from their storyline in the comics, where Harley breaks free of the Joker and realizes she's more of an anti-hero than a villain. You treated me bad. What? You lied to me. Oh. You never loved me. I know that now. Well, well, that's nonsense, Puddin'. My motives are never clear. I'm an agent of chaos. That's what you love about me. Not anymore. We're through. That show and the Harley Quinn solo movie, Birds of Prey, all came out after I interviewed Jimmy and Amanda. So when I talked to them in 2019... I didn't even realize how influential their work was going to be in redefining Harley as a character in pop culture. But another reason why I want to play the full-length version of this interview is that Jimmy and Amanda are a married couple. I haven't interviewed a lot of married couples before, 
And I really appreciated the way their sense of humor and the rapport that they share defines the worlds that they create together. Hello there. I am Amanda Connor. And I am Jimmy Palmiotti. And we are here with you today. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, we are Jamanda. Oh, uh, you know, we don't have superhero <laughs> names yet. Uh, one day. When we get powers, we can go there. Do you remember the first time you came across Harley and, and what kind of form of media did Harley take when you first uh, saw her? I actually don't remember the first. I just remember Harley kind of not being there and then always being there. I, I don't actually remember the first time I ever saw Harley. I, I remember the Batman animated series. Yeah. She was just a character that was in there once in a while. And, um, and then not till Yeah, and then not till years later... Um, we actually did a short story. Remember, we did a Harley we short did. story. We did, yeah. Uh, and then the next time I saw her when I was I was one of the writers on uh, the Injustice game, and I wrote uh, Harley into the game. We wrote her into the game. I love those Injustice games. Yeah. Thanks. Especially Harley. This, I mean, I don't know. Did you work in the first one or the second one? Uh, I just did the first one. The first one was such a big hit that they didn't ask me back to the second one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I do love them. Um, okay, so so did you pitch uh, Harley to them, or were you assigned Harley? Okay. That's a good story. Uh, so <laughs> Dan DiDio was doing a retailer summit in uh, Orlando. Dan DiDio being, of course, one of the people that runs DC Comics. Yeah. And because we're in Clearwater, he said, hey, you know, I'm going to be in Orlando for a day or two. You want to come talk to the retailers and pretty much hang out with him. And uh so I drove to Orlando, and he did the summit, and I talked up whatever book I was writing at the time. And then afterwards, a retailer went to Dan and said, you know, you guys should do a Harley Quinn book, a new Harley Quinn book. The character hasn't been seen for a while. And Dan just turned to me and said, hey, would you and Amanda want to do Harley Quinn? And I said, yeah, let me talk to Amanda tonight. We'll see if she's interested. And I got home, and Amanda... I was like, that sounds like fun. Yeah, and we came back and we got the heads up that it might not sell or it might not be around for a while, but we can do whatever we want. And yeah, we were planning on it lasting for only like four to six issues. You know, we, we thought it would just be, you know, a fun, very short miniseries. Yeah, it would probably bomb like most of the things we were doing <laughs> at the time. And because of that, Dan said, just do whatever you want. So we decided to, okay, we're going to take her out of Gotham because if she's going to be in her own book, she shouldn't be stuck in the place where she's an eternal... Secondary character yeah, in like her a, own book. Right, her, a B character. And we, because being a New Yorker, I said, well, why not Coney Island? Because that's yeah. kind of a well, fun she's, place. She's originally from Canarsie, if yeah. I remember my, my Harley history correctly. That is correct. She's from Canarsie. And we were like, you know, I think it was you that you would say, I mean... Let's put her in Coney Island. I was like, well, that just it seems natural for her. Yeah, and know? it was, and I think it was when Amanda was drawing the first cover, and then she put on some gear, right? You put on some gear. Well, on I it. was fooling around with her costume, and uh, I just like would add things and try out things, and um, I put shoulder pads on her costume and knee pads, you know, just because, you know, she's not actually, you know, a, you know, she doesn't have Superman strength or anything like that, so. I wanted to put a little bit of protection on her here and there. And she ended up looking like a uh, roller derby girl. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's exactly what she would want to do. You know, I could totally imagine her, you know, roller skating and elbowing people in the teeth. 
Yeah, and that's and so we took that, <laughs> and then um, I remember we were in San Diego, and I had a dream about doing uh, issue zero using eighteen or nineteen artists, and I woke up and told Amanda, and we had breakfast that day with Dan DiDio, and I said, "Hey, how about we do a zero book right before issue one, and I get a different, we get a different artist for every page." And he looked at me and Amanda like we were crazy and <laughs> said, did. if you can corral the artist, then I'll think about doing it. So we went around San Diego to, every, to Artist Alley. And that got, was our job for San Diego, yep, corralling and we got, artists. <laughs> right. We got, we got 18 artists to sign on to do a page each for the book. And that's how the Zero book came about. So it's been, And it's been crazy ever since. I mean, we just it was one of those books where DC let us do whatever we wanted. And sometimes stuff they didn't love, but... Uh, <laughs> a lot of times stuff they didn't love. <laughs> Amanda started changing her costume every issue, every issue cover. And um, at that point, they were like, well, let them do what they want. And uh, it, Yeah, we were lucky because nobody thought, you know, everybody was like, oh, you know, it's Harley, you know. I, they just didn't think that it was going to be a hit. So they just pretty much let us do whatever we wanted, which worked out perfectly for us. Yeah, I have so many questions. I want to stop you guys. Um, first of all, so I I didn't know that she was technically or that. I mean, I know it's funny. People forget there is a New York City in in DC world. Um, yeah. Did you? That's interesting that you probably thought about her accent. The accent probably means that she's from Canarsie, and then therefore she said in Brooklyn. Was that personal to you guys too, being in Brooklyn? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, people always say write what you know. So, and Jimmy really knows Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, I mean, Coney <laughs> Island was like, you know, my my park. That, that I went to. That was to. your childhood. Yeah. Um, so uh, knowing, and, and when Paul Dini and uh, Bruce Tim created her, they said, you know, she's from Canarsie. And I said, great, this is going to be easy to write. I could put her in Brooklyn. And we kind of went crazy in the series, too, because everything's correct. The parts, when she's in Prospect Park, it's actually where the things are in Prospect Park. Like everything in that book is on the nose. It's not like a movie a New York movie they shot in Toronto. You know, this comic has actual streets and names and places in Brooklyn. Yeah. And then Amanda, in terms of redesigning her costume, what had what did you think of her costume beforehand that you felt like, this needs some work? <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what it was. Um, it was the neck ruffles. I, I don't like neck ruffles. She had neck ruffles on um, in the Suicide Squad comic, and and I, I feel bad. I don't know who designed that costume, but I I just feel like neck ruffles are the mullet of the 16th century. So I just <laughs> I don't like them at all. I don't even like them on um, on Queen Elizabeth. I'm like, get those off. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't want to do neck ruffles, and you know they wanted they didn't want the classic Harley. They they wanted her to you know have they wanted her face to be exposed and they wanted her, you know, to have, you know, an updated costume and everything. So actually they wanted me to do the Suicide Squad costume, but I didn't want to do it, you know, neck ruffles. So I just was trying to keep her costume close to what it was, but then put my own twist on it. And then what about the idea of separating her from the Joker? That was really important to us because um, we were feeling like if it becomes... You know, if we put the Joker in it too much, it'll be the Harley and the Joker book. And we wanted it to just be the, the Harley book. And we wanted her to be the main character in her own book. Yeah, we didn't introduce the Joker into the book till the second year we were on it. Because, again, we thought if we're going to develop Harley, we need to give her her own book and her own supporting cast. 
But we just, at one point, we wanted to have the opportunity where she got to address her abusive relationship at some point. And that's what we did with issue 24 and 25. Had you, I mean, some people had been bothered by that relationship or, uh, I, I mean, there, there, that relationship had sort of mixed reviews over the years. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on it? I mean, it's it's one of those, re- you know, relationships in general aren't perfect. So I think people can identify with it. It's like, it's easier to identify with Harley and the Joker than it is with Lois and Superman, because it seems like Lois and Superman have such a perfect, flawless relationship. But with Harley and Joker, it's flawed. And, um, you know, he by then he was her ex-boyfriend, you know, in the Suicide Squad. He was long gone. I guess he was supposed to be dead or something. And I can't remember. There was like so many different things going on. We we made it so that she thought about him a lot, because sometimes you do, you know, think about your ex a lot. And, um, what are you saying, Amanda? <laughs> what do you say? I'm just <laughs> not everybody, but but she was the kind of person that would sort of obsess over lost loves and stuff like that. So it it sort of worked for us. And then it was her climbing out of that. I miss you whole. Like we we wrote it, and then Chris Conroy, our editor, and Chris went over it and said, "Well, this is a you know big moment," and he had some ideas and. We kind of talked out the scene because we wanted to make sure everything was right. Because, again, it's it's somebody dealing with an uh, ending an abusive relationship. And we wanted to get the language right. But we didn't think it was going to be... We, it was just part of the story. And we didn't think it was going to be singled out or something that was like a big change. Or And, and then when the book came out, it, it, it went through the roof. And we were like, oh, okay, I guess we hit on something here. You know? Yeah. Um, and we had a lot of people who were uh, related to the story saying they were in relationships. And, you know, a, a lot of that uh, feedback was terrific. And uh, y- you hope for those kind of things when you're writing to to get people emotionally invested in the work. And uh, this was something different for us. Yeah, we, we had never had anybody really like have a storyline hit home for them quite the way this one did. Do you th- I mean, do you think that people romanticize that relationship? Like you see cosplayers a lot doing the Harley Joker kind of photos and everything like that. I, I do. I mean, I think that uh, maybe people like look at it as like a really kind of cool. I mean, visually, it's a cool looking couple, you know, her with the red and black and him with the green and the purple. And um, they're just like really cool to look at together. And I think. I think it's romanticized in a way that it's like, oh, this is a cool comic book couple. But I don't think um, people give it the the really deep thought that other people give it, you know. Um, or if they do, they think, yeah, there there are relationships that are like really bad. And this is an example of a really bad relationship. And for other people, they they don't like it. You know, they, they're like, let's get out of this relationship. It's bad. Yeah, I think when uh, a lot of people love the animated series, mm-hmm. so they want everything to stay in that zone. You know how comic people are, right? This like this is the thing I grew up with, therefore I always want the character in this place. But it didn't make sense for the times and for her being the step out that we kept her in that relationship on any level. You know, for our character to mature and step out on her own and create a, a life away from him, she had to address her past issues, the things that were still bothering her. So there were people that hated it. They didn't like the idea of it. 
um, because they love the cartoon version. They love the, you know, a, a certain version. I think you also love things that, you know, you grew up with. You know, it's like you, you become close to things that um, at a certain time of your life, it hit you a certain way. And it's it's hard to see it change. Although I, you know, the, I, I did read that it was when, you know, they moved Harley to the comics. It was difficult because the Joker in the animated series is kind of much more goofy. I mean, they, they, they indicate in, in as dark as they can get in an animated kid show that he's killed people. But the, you know, comics Joker is an absolute mass murderer serial killer. Yeah, he's a monster. And for her to be in love with that Joker was very different. I mean, the way we approached it was... um she didn't see him that way. She just sees him as her wonderful boyfriend, and Batman is this bully that keeps beating him up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you the, know, she thinks she's a good guy. The Harley <laughs> in the uh, Suicide Squad books, and some of the other books, the way people wrote Harley was like this dark, mass murdering, bloodthirsty animal kind of thing, and uh, we were writing her like it was somebody we knew. Well, we were also, you know, taking her back to her roots, yeah. her animated roots. You know, right. she's goofy and fun and nutty and, you know, sure, she's, you know, a psychotic killer, but she's a fun, lovable psychotic killer. And that's, I think that was the original intent for Harley when, um, you know, when Paul and Bruce created her. Yeah, tell me a bit more about other versions. And again, not not to sort of diss any specific creators or anything, but are there other versions of Harley you've seen over the years in all sorts of different media that you've thought, eh, that, that doesn't feel right to me. That's not Harley. There, there was a story where she like did mass murder. I can't remember where it was, but it was like kids playing video games, whatever. And I just remember reading that and going, yeah, that's not that to Harley. It just didn't seem like true to the character. No, and and especially kids, you know, because that's like nothing that we don't see that in the character at all. Well, we call her a psycho killer with a heart of gold. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and then in Suicide Squad, a lot of the Suicide Squad books, she was like the one-liner person, you know. She'd like kill somebody and go, well, you know, take that to the bank, you know, when the guy's arms are cut off or something. <laughs> you know, it, it it was like a sort of, sort of like a, a, a really one-dimensional version at times not because the book had different writers different writers added their voice and i understood a lot of these books had to grab that representation since our book was actually grabbing her when she wasn't being a super bad guy and she wasn't dealing with other super characters it was our book was like you know she was dealing with this is like harley on her downtime yeah i mean what was it like channeling harley's voice i mean uh what when you heard it what Tell me more about when you felt like, yep, this is it. I can I can hear this. How would you describe that? Um, it's funny because in in the in when her voice is in my head, which it was a lot, it was not quite as high and squeaky as the animated cartoon, but it was still kind of very Brooklyn and and very you know that's when when uh, <laughs> we would work on the dialogue and I would write everything phonetically when she talks. I had a mom come up to me with her little girl and she's saying, we read this together and we love it. I show this to her to teach her spelling. And I was like, no, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) This is not the book to do that with. (laughs) So, but yeah, it's like um, a little bit deeper than the animated series, but it's still pretty high and loud and obnoxious. Yeah, I, I have it. I wish I could do it. (laughs) Don't. What do you think was the hardest part of, of writing Harley? I got to say she's one of the easiest characters I've ever written. Yeah. It's just so easy to write her because she's a wish fulfillment character. She 
she is like, you know, somebody steps on a foot, she gives them a kick in the ass. You know, it's like she's such an easy character to write because she wears her emotions like right on her sleeve. She reacts instantly without thinking. And then she pauses and slows it down and then has integrity, you know, and it's interesting. Barely. And it's interesting to write a character that in a matter of a page she's going to change she's going to change her point of view I mean, like three or four times yeah i mean you you know you have to remember that you know she is you know crazy psychotic out of control harley but she's also a psychiatrist and a doctor and somebody who can like yeah like you said slow it down yeah at the drop of a hat and analyze the situation yeah and i mean we, so... we it was funny because in the first issue we have some guy dragging a dog and she gets really upset emotional and yeah. throws a guy off a bridge i think and uh <laughs> but we've always had a thing with animals she drags him with her motorcycle oh, she drags him and then throws him off the bridge <laughs> um but we've always had her connection with animals and and little things there's a scene with the new york aquarium where she's like hugging the window where the beluga whale is and um people always come up to us and say, I love that scene because she's in the middle of everything. She just stops there. Yeah. How many times she she's seen She's a whale? very stream of consciousness character. We we wrote the book sort of as a stream of consciousness. It's not, you know, it wasn't way planned out in advance. It was just like it, writing it like Harley thinks. Yeah, that's so much so the solicits <laughs> never match the actual book you got. Uh, Chris Conroy used to, we used to say, he used to say, give me the solicits for the next four issues. And we'd make up something. <laughs> and then we'd write the book, and it was completely different. Very Harley of us. Yeah, very Harley of us. Yeah. It solicits a sort of like a um, summary of what, what you're going to do, or is that a... Yeah, kind of. Like yeah, a, it's for like the retailers. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, the retailers say, what's going to be an issue 44? And it says, you know, Harley takes a boat trip to the Bahamas. And meanwhile, you get issue 44, and she's in Coney Island, <laughs> and she got too much of a tan, and she's yelling at Big Tony. <laughs> You know, and it has nothing to do with the solicits. Well, I was going to say, it's interesting because, uh, so Harley has this, I don't know if you, you feel this way about her too, um, but I feel like Harley has like a drive and motivation. Like this character absolutely has a life of her own. And I can't yeah. think of many characters like that where, you know, the fact that she just wouldn't, she just won't stay in the animated series. She won't stay on the comic. She won't stay in Gotham. She won't stay with the Joker. Like, do you feel that way when you when you take up the character that this is just a wild horse you're just riding? Yeah. <laughs> Harley is absolutely a wild horse. It's really funny, and I just pointed out to someone yesterday. I think we did an issue where Harley shaves her head and gives herself a mohawk, and she joins a she forms a punk rock band. Yeah, it was the Skullbags. Yeah, I think, right? Harley Quinn and the Skullbags. Skull and we were noticing yesterday that Hot Topic has like fifteen items for makeup kits, backpacks, <laughs> T-shirts. Bags, all these things with Harley Quinn and the skull bags on them. We realized, like, oh my God, like every time we did something in the book, licensing was jumping <laughs> on it to figure out a hundred ways how to make this into something. And uh, that's when I kind of knew that, like, okay, this is this character is just bigger than us. She's just going to do whatever she wants, anywhere she right. wants. Why do you think Harley relates so much to cosplayers? It's Amanda's fault because <laughs> every cover she would make put a different outfit on her, and there's nothing Almost cosplayers co- <laughs> love more than different variations of one character's cosplay. It's a pl- challenge, I guess. Yeah. Well, also, you know, the cosplayers, she has such an amazing costume to address cosplay with because um, as long as you keep those colors and you do the diamond motif, then. 
it's very Harley. Like no matter what kind of, um, you know, if you're doing steampunk Harley or superhero Harley or, you know, as long as she has that um, theme going on on her costume, she's instantly recognizable as Harley, you know. Yeah, and as creators, we embrace the cosplayers. We yeah. encourage them. Um, and they and they inspire us, too. The cosplayers are like, oh, you know what? Ballerina Harley, of course. Yeah, let's do you it. <laughs> let's steal that idea. <laughs> yeah, it's, I feel like also any body type works. Whenever I see anyone doing cosplay Harley, I'm like, yeah, that, make, that works. Yeah, it absolutely does. Oh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, we have male Harleys and yeah, you know, it's large great. Everybody and small. embraces it, and it's wonderful. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's so and much it's... fun. But it wasn't all fun and games. Their Harley Quinn comics had a lot of heart, because after Harley leaves the Joker, she realizes that she's in love with another villain turned antihero, Poison Ivy. Now, a lot of fans had always thought that there was more to Harley and Ivy's friendship in previous versions of the characters. But Jimmy and Amanda made it canon. And since then, Harley and Ivy have become the most visible queer couple in the DC universe. I talked with Jimmy and Amanda about that story development after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get back to my conversation with Jimmy and Amanda. Was it was it your when you were working on the book that she ended up really hooking up with Poison Ivy? Yep. I think so. I <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I I always thought that they were sort of, you know, like they were like best friends that just adored each other and you know, I and may, basically Poison Ivy, you know, madly loves Harley, but she can't be tied down because she's got so much important work to do as far as Earth and the environment goes. Yeah, we, we've had uh, issues where they're like, okay, you've gone too far. Um, <laughs> we've had that a lot in our series. Uh, because, or we're reminded that, hey, the book is, you know, kids 10 years old and up are reading it, so be careful uh, there. But we always, we push the envelope every issue. I mean, they would sit there and they'd say, you can't do this, you can't do that. That's okay. And then we started like throwing crazy things in to distract them from the things we wanted to get away with. So (laughs) over the years, um, I feel for them because every issue we had something. Like the biggest blanket thing was put a word balloon over that. Don't don't let that be seen. Um, but what about with Poison Ivy? Were they what were they nervous about in terms of it? Was it this too too sexual or too intimate or too committed? Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a couple of issues because it was a, a younger people were buying the book, uh, so visually certain things were a little too much. But I mean, young people are much more open minded than you know people. Yeah, you it's know. not my company, sweetheart. I know. You know, I, know. I mean, it's, it's the, <laughs> you know, and um, and then we'd push things. You know, we would try to push the envelope and we got away with things. I mean, look, we had a comic book where the whole plot of the comic was Harley and Ivy go down to the Bahamas and hang out in a senior citizen's nudist colony <laughs> for one issue. That's one of my favorite issues. Okay. 
that was the whole comic. There was no bad guy. There was nothing. They just went to a nudist colony and they just talked about their relationship and talked about life. And, and uh, played naked pool volleyball. Yeah, yes. And there was a lot of, we definitely Austin Powers everything. You know, everything's covering something. Parrots were flying by. In front this. of, you know, body parts and, yeah. But uh, we did a lot. You know, there again, it hit a certain amount of people reading the book. Like, all of a sudden, that relationship, uh, things, there were things we were hitting on that the fans were loving or if not loving, then talking a lot about. Uh, again, we were never did anything to like boost sales. We always did things that were naturally. We wanted, blow. yeah, we wanted to talk about, you know, or through Harley and Ivy. So you guys worked on the Harley Quinn comics for about three years, and then you know other people have taken over, and uh, they've like they've moved her really far from Coney Island. Like, I think at the latest comics, she went to the planet Apocalypse, and she has like these godlike powers now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, Sam, I think Sam is Frank Thierry wrote it, and then Sam is writing it. We don't get them, we don't, we don't buy them because it's hard to read other people's versions after reading writing it for five years, you know. Uh, so it's hard for us to even look at it sometimes. I know it's a weird thing. I'm waiting but... for it to come out in in a you know. I, in a it's, trade. it's also hard for me to read monthly books. Like I, I definitely like trades better. You know, yeah. I like to be able to sit there and read a lot. And I'm also at that place that if you're going to put Harley with all the other DC characters all the time, it's gonna it pushes me away from the book. Like it's why we work so hard with her supporting characters because I didn't want to make it the Harley team up. That's interesting. So you feel like when she, when you see her pop up in other books, you feel like they're using her again as a sidekick to some extent? Yep. I feel like uh, they were oversaturating the character, which, let's be honest, it's publishing. They're trying to make money. They're, it's popular, so put the character in every book. And she was appearing in a lot of books, and uh, it's hard for us to read because we feel like, well, that's off character, and that's not what we're doing, and she wouldn't do that. So it's better to not read it. <laughs> you know, from our point of view, not a company that could, it's, it's their character. At the end of the day, they're going to do whatever they want with the character. We, 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 that's part of what we do for a living is we come in, we mess with something and people either like it or don't like it. And then the next team comes on and they either like it or don't like it. And there's people love the book now and that I'm, I'm happy for anybody that loves a character. And that's, that's, I think that's one of the reasons that, um, people fall in love with her so much is because she's so like I love Wonder Woman I grew up with Wonder Woman but Wonder Woman is flawless and you know she's so iconic and can do no wrong whereas Harley does a lot of stuff wrong and makes a lot of mistakes and has you know a lot of different emotions and is very um she's so much more relatable because she reflects a lot of our own feelings. Um, and that's and I think that's one of the reasons for her popularity is just because she's so much more flawed and she, that makes her really easy to identify with. Yeah, I think there's a lot of great writers. Like I said, Sam is doing a great job on a book and all these people that are doing different versions of Harleys, yeah. they're bringing themselves into it. And that's, yeah. the, that's the kind of, you know, that's what makes a character so good. You could actually project yourself into the character and make it your own. And uh, so I, I think she'll be around for a long time. That Yeah, that is so interesting. 
because that you can put so much of yourself as a as a creator in Harley in a way that it's harder to do with other characters yeah. because she could be kind of ditzy or she could be really smart. She could be crazy or she could be more more calculated. She mm-hmm. could be gay. She could be straight. She she can be a lot of yeah. different things. Yeah. You know, she she wants to experience everything in life. You know, and I think that that makes her, you know, really interesting is like she's she embraces everything that comes her way. Well, that actually gets to something I'm trying to figure out, because I mean, there are going to be listeners who are who are not into DC Comics or just not into comics at all. And so I guess one of the things I'm trying to get to is why should they care about Harley Quinn? I think for at least we could only speak for what we wrote. Um, I think that people do need a little more humor in their lives and in their comics and in their literature. And for us, writing Harley was always about making something that's fun to read. But I think it's all about humor. Uh, for us, there's, if, a, if a comic's successful for us, that means that there's some serious stuff and then there's some stuff laugh out loud silliness because that's the life Amanda and I have. Uh, yeah, things, we're pretty silly. Yeah, we're pretty silly. Things can be tough. We have to go through things, but at the end of the day, we're giggling together, and uh, I think it comes through in a writing. That is it for this week. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor. My assistant producer is Stephanie Billman. You can like the show on Facebook. I tweet at Emilinski at Imagine Worlds Pod. And if you love the show, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts or a shout-out on social media. That always helps people discover imaginary worlds. The best way to support the podcast is to donate on Patreon. At different levels, you can get either free imaginary world stickers, a mug, a t-shirt, or a link to a Dropbox account, which has the full-length interviews of every guest in every episode. You can learn more at imaginaryworldspodcast.org. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.